illegal participation on the defense. 15-yard penalty from the previous spot remains first down. This had better be a big play after all of that. Second down at eight, four and a half to go in the half, six nothing Beavers. Jonathan from the right hash from the zone 25, goes back to throw, and throws the out, and it's caught, and it's going to be a big play! Chad Johnson down the left sideline, nobody will catch Chad, and it's a touchdown 75 yards for the Beavers! This is the moment, and right here we'll tell perhaps all about that. Third and one and a half in the right hash. Simon's in the handoff, can cuts to the left, first down and more, 30, 25, 20, Simonton on his way, Ken into the end zone, touchdown Beavers, and the streak is going to end here tonight. The snap on target to Nick. he gets a much better punt away here, Sammy Strotter back to his 30 yard line, starts up the middle, gets to the 40, he's got a seam, 45 midfield, 45, 40, he's got a chance to go, 20, 15, 10, 5, Welcome to Illegal Participation, the official podcast of the Heiner Tailgate. Recording this while firmly ensconced at the Heiner Tailgate headquarters, I'm your host and the big bald guy behind the grill, Bill Heine Heinrich. Joining me as always from Twin Pines Vineyards and Airbnb, the director of Thermodynamic Lipid Immersion, my co-host and brother of the Beach. Beach, how you doing this evening? Dude, Billy, I'm tired, but I'm here to do this with you because I'm a committed brother. Yes, I agree. You should be committed. Yeah, you son of a bitch. So, anyway, you know, my, my grapes still haven't – I'm thinking we're going to have a late uh, a late spring this year. Yeah, because it hasn't gotten super warm for very many days. No, no, which is going to suck because – Last year, the birds ate all my grapes, and with the way things are going, the birds are going to eat all my grapes again because of the late late spring. So why did they why did they eat all the grapes because of late spring? That, that's an interesting thing. So these freaking starlings come in, and uh, from what I've been told, they like blackberries. So typically, they go after the blackberries, and right when the blackberries are ripe. That's when the grapes typically are ripe. So you harvest the grapes while they're eating the blackberries. When you have a late spring, the blackberries get get ripe before the grapes do. So then after they gorge themselves and eat all the blackberries, then they sit there and wait for your grapes to get ripe. And what I was told is it takes about 10 days for all of your grapes to get ripe. So every day they go in there and eat 10% of your crop over a period of 10 days until your crop's gone, which is about what they did to me last year. Is there, so, any, is there any way to stop them? Um, you know, I uh, I heard somebody said squawk boxes, which I don't know. I'm going to have to do some research on that. Squawk but, box is going to be something that makes uh, bird sounds that scares the starlings out. That's what I'm guessing. Uh, some people try little shiny things like shiny spinny ribbons or, or other things. They don't like that. And then uh, fake owls uh, mm. are 
other stuff, but I don't know how successful those things are. What about what just, if, just having a Falcon come in? Can it you, will be epic. Can you pay a Falconer? I, you know, it's funny because I, I took a tour one time of a blueberry farm, and they had a Falconer that would drive around in a four in a quad. Really, Falcon go in there and kill blue the blue jays from eating all their um, from eating the blueberries. Oh, that's awesome. Mm-hmm. But you have to have a really big freaking farm to justify that. I yeah. guess what they do is they, they feed them like mice, but just enough to make them hungry, right? Ah. Ah, and so that when they see the little starlings, they're like, ah, oh, eat that little some bitch. So, lunch. Yeah, exactly. So anyway, so we'll see how this year goes, but it's not turning out good so far. We also know somebody that probably come out there and shoot them for you. Oh, yeah. Mr. I didn't see any names. Okay, okay, gotcha, gotcha. Yeah, he just—I was telling him the other day. I said, just gotta make sure that you. Uh, uh, what what is that called? Gibbs said it in NCIS one time. Gotta make sure you uh, pick up your uh, casings. What is that? Police your. There, there's a term for that. I can't remember it, but. I don't know. I don't watch TV. Uh, me neither. I don't. Well, I, I got. I'm online anymore, but I don't. I only watch NCS when we're at mom and dad's house. So, well, the purpose of illegal participation is for us to talk Beaver sports, tailgating, anything else we find funny and interesting every week. Remember, you can listen to us on Apple Podcasts, Google Podcasts, Stitcher, Spotify, iHeartRadio, and most other podcatchers. Get in touch with me, Heinrich Tailgater at gmail.com, at Heinrich Tailgater on Twitter, and Heinrich Tailgater on Facebook. And guess what, Beach? What, Billy? I forgot to check email. Let me check. Ooh, I doubt if we got anything. Yeah, we got nothing. Just sons of bitches. Yeah, got nothing. You know, we ask for so little in life, and we get so much less. I know. Anyway, so what what are we talking about today, Billy? Because, you know, it's in the off season. We got baseball. We got still softball. Yep. And basketball over? Basketball's over. Okay. Wrestling? We will start with some wrestling. Oh, okay. What do we got? Well, Beach, Oregon State sent seven wrestlers to the NCAA championships in Tulsa a couple weeks ago. Four of those wrestlers saw their runs end in the second round of the consolation bracket. But Trey Munoz finished his run at the 23 NCAA championships with a sixth-place finish in the 184-pound weight class. The Mission Viejo, California native secured an All-American status after winning in sudden victory yesterday with a 3-1 decision. He entered the National Invitational as the fourth seed with a 24-1 record and back-to-back Pac-12 champions at 184. Mm. Now, Oregon State's championship season came to an end in Tulsa behind the Pac-12 team title and five winning individual conference championships. So not a phenomenal showing at the National Championships, but... uh, Good on Trey Munoz. Right, well, and, and I would say you're still in there, so I'm, I'm assuming it's a reasonable. Well, you know what, Billy? Any way you look at it, they did a hell of a lot better than Oregon. This is true. This is true. Because I don't think Oregon even made it to, Oklahoma, or to, to Tulsa, did they? They didn't even make it to the Pac-12 championships. I, was gonna say, I don't even think they made it to Eugene. No, 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 no. <laughs> no, they're 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 wrestling team is somewhere between left and out <laughs> that's awesome all right beach um let's move on to a little bit of women's gymnastics yeah which which is actually the same because they got that beautiful matthew knight arena 
and they could really use some more sports in there to help pay for that son of a gun. Yeah. So anyway, okay, women's gymnastics. All right. Well, Beach, the Oregon State gymnastics team shined on floor and beam to propel the bees into the regional final in Denver with a 197.375 to tie for first in the Friday afternoon session with uh, LSU. All right. So the way, the way the way it works is each regional there's eight teams. There's a morning four team region uh, uh, meet, and then an after two afternoon four team meet. And the two top finishers from each from morning and afternoon go to another uh, four way that weekend, and then the top two that finish out of that go to nationals. Okay, so the top two go. Yep. So Oregon yeah. State and LSU tied in the morning um, session, so they went on to the regional final. Okay. Which happened on Sunday afternoon, Beach. Okay. And the, the Oregon State gymnastics team saw their season come to a close at the 2023 NCAA Denver Regional Finals, finishing fourth in the session with a 197.650 for their third highest score of the season and the fifth highest score in program history. And still couldn't come up with a win. Still couldn't come up with a win. So they actually scored higher than they did in the earlier regional to get to the final. So... uh... So what you're saying is those other teams just had killer execution. It was a pretty killer regional. So host Denver won the regional with a 197.875, while LSU took the tiebreaker over Michigan with both those schools scoring 197.750. But LSU hit all 24 routines to advance. Hmm. Well, good for LSU. Yep. Well, with Denver and LSU advancing as a team, Jade Carey, uh, who scored a 9.950 during Friday's semifinal, advances, will advance her to the NCAA championship on the balance beam on April 13th at Dickey's Arena in Dallas, Texas. Is that named after Dickey's Clothes? I don't know. Let me see. Hmm. Williamson Dickey Manufacturing Company, best known hmm. for its largest brand, Dickey's. They're out of Fort Worth, Texas. Who knew? You know, again, we just fill people full of useless information through this podcast. Yes, we do. <laughs> kind of like uh, us, us in life, just full of it. Yeah, absolutely. So, so Jade Carey will move on, but the rest of the team will not. Okay. All right, Beach. Uh, let's go to a little bit of softball news. Okay. Well, Beach, Oregon State. Travel down to the evil empire of Spugene, Oregon. Ooh, I think I heard about this. To take on them damn dirty ducks. No it, good cheater. Yep. In the rivalry series formerly known as the Civil War. Mm-hmm. Now, Friday night's game was rained out. So the 18th-ranked Oregon Ducks and Oregon State played a doubleheader on Friday with Oregon winning both games 10-4, to followed by 2 to nothing. So then they play today? Well, Beach, on Sunday in the series final, Ellie Garcia threw a complete game shutout as the Bees took the series finale four to nothing. That's good. At least at least we were, at least we got one out of three. Yep. So Garcia threw uh perfect through four and a third frames, allowing just a pair of hits and fan four 
while the bats were hot for the Beavs from start to finish. Now, the Beav win snapped a seven-game skid to the Ducks, as well as a six-game winless streak. Mm. Oregon State, who's now 11-20-1 overall, 2-9-1, will head south for their next series when they will take on UCLA in a road test. The first game in L.A. is scheduled for 5 p.m. on Thursday. So we're not really strong in softball this season. No, uh, they lost their best pitcher from last year, and they've been struggling. Okay. Yep. So. All right, Beach. Before pitching, what? Pitching is, an, pitching is an art form in softball. Uh, it's it is it's it's uh, a tough thing to do. Yeah. Uh, we're gonna hit, move on to a little bit of baseball. Okay. <laughs> All right. So, so Beach. What's going on with baseball? Well, Beach, Travis Bazana hit his third home run of the season, but Oregon State was unable to hold on to an early lead in a 7-2 loss to Washington Sunday afternoon at Husky Ballpark. But despite that loss, the Beavs won their ninth consecutive series over the Huskies after sweeping Saturday's doubleheader. Hmm. Bazana drilled a 2-2 pitch from Washington starter Jared Ingman over the fence and right to put the Bees up 2-1 in third. That lead, however, was short-lived as the Huskies scored 200 runs in the fourth and followed those with two more runs in the sixth for a three-run lead. Now, that loss snapped Oregon State's 13-game win streak versus the Huskies. OSU had also won 10 straight at Husky Ballpark, last dropping the series opener in 2017, which is interesting, Beej, because the series opener in 2017 – Mm-hmm. That was when the Beavs only lost four games total in the regular season. Really? Yeah. So one of those was to uh, the Huskies. Huh. So the Beavs are now eight and ten overall, five and seven in the Pac-12, and they'll go down to Spugine to take on Oregon Thursday night with a first pitch slated for seven p.m. Okay. And that game will air live on Pac-12 Network. Now, that game is part of the rivalry rivalry series, formerly known as the Civil War, presented by, are you ready? Yeah. Do tell. Do tell. Presented by Safeway Albertsons, Pacific Source Health Plans, your local Toyota dealers, and First Interstate Bank. You know, it sounds like I'm listening to uh, uh, Mike Parker on the radio right there. Well, I just want to know if they can get any more uh, sponsors in there. Well, that's well. It's it's like when you listen to Parker uh, coming home from a football game. I swear those are all the same advertisements. That well, I it is, it is, but it's just funny. Yeah. So, uh, you got to use really small font when printing that one out. Yep. So, oh, hey, Billy. Yes, Beach. Do you hear that? I do. All right. Okay. Hold on. Hold on. Hold on. Hold on. Not going anywhere. <laughs> Billy. Yes, Beach. This just in. Okay. Actually, this comes from the Register Guard out of Spugene. Ooh. The Red, the red Guard? Yes, uh, from Mackenzie Elliott over there. Uh, Eugene Emeralds to use Oregon Coast-inspired exploding whales alternate identity. Did you hear about this? No. (laughs) The Eugene Emeralds announced it will use 
the uh, use an alternate identity for four games starting in April. The team will use the Exploding Whales alternate identity for its April 12th, April 22nd, and May 6th and August uh, 19th games official set. I don't know why we go from May 6th. Oh, okay, August, yeah. So quite a gap. Um, uh, said in November 1970, a 45-foot-long sperm whale washed ashore in Florence. As is now well-known Oregon history, the state's highway division consulted with the U.S. Navy and decided to remove the nearly eight-ton whale with dynamite, hoping the whale would separate into small pieces for animals to eat. During the event, bits of whale flew everywhere, making it the first and last time Oregon disposed of washed-up whales with dynamite. The Emerald's exploding whale identity references the infamous Oregon event. The team said it hopes to bring awareness to climate change and its effect on whale migration patterns at the four games. The team will provide educational videos and other media to bring attention to climate change and whale migration, team officials said. An alternative is more than just using a different logo for a day. It's about embracing an idea and completely changing the team's identity. From jerseys to stadium decor, it's a complete overhaul of what fans have come to expect, officials said in a press release. And this has been your Heinrich Tailgater update from Eugene. Oh, God. You know, okay, so so here's my take on this. All right. So I think it's pretty freaking funny that they're the exploding whales. If you get a chance... You need to look up their logo. I'm looking at it right now. Still holding a piece of dynamite. Which is awesome. Okay. Honestly, I would love to see the Eugene Emeralds change their name completely to the Exploding Whales. Okay. That that I I'd like to say that because that's awesome. Um, as far as their little narrative here, um, they blew up the whale in 1970, and now you're trying to justify this as migration patterns. From a whale in 1970 prior to any real climate change? No, actually, the next climate change they had in 1970 was the ice age they were complaining was going to hit in the late 70s. Exactly, exactly. So, and then the the fact that this means so much, right? No, this is a way to get attention and get people's asses in the seats so they watch your game. It's about money. And to, sell, getting, and to sell more and jerseys. And to sell more jerseys and to get get people excited about what you're doing because they're not excited about it right now. And the fact that you want to put this narrative out there. I am so I don't know about you, Billy, but I am so freaking fed up with everything. You know, this just goes to show you we have way too many people out there with useless marketing degrees, right? <laughs> No, honest to God, everything you read and see and, and touch anymore in this world has some kind of narrative or spin or some bullshit that somebody who's got a freaking four-year degree that can't get a job other than Starbucks comes up with some stupid idea on how to sell crap. And and I'm just so tired of it. It is so freaking old. And I would have been more impressed if they would have just said, hey, to grab some excitement. I mean, I'm a person who's honest when I pitch stuff to people, right? And I'd be, Dad, some more excitement. We decided that we're going to change our names for a few weeks, right? Or, hey, we're, we're, our April Fool's joke is going to go throughout April. And yeah. it's going to be changing our name. That, hey, that's fine. 
at least you're being honest. But the fact you're like, oh, we're going to put out promotional videos showing you how whale migration patterns. Who the hell cares? I'm here to watch a goddamn baseball game. Uh, are you you're freaking kidding me? You know, I, anyway. Yeah. <laughs> Sorry. When, <laughs> when I first off. read it, I'm like, oh, that's kind of funny. And then you went to their stuff. I was like, oh, God. Yeah, they took it too far. Yeah. You know, they, they could have just left it at, yeah, we're going to do it. Here's a freaking, I mean, again, I love the logo better. Than, I don't know what a hell an emerald is, but I do know what an exploding whale is. I just like, cause it's a whale sitting there with holding the stick of dynamite <laughs> cool. and the word, the word's got a stick of dynamite in it for the L. Yeah. Yeah. And a little fish, the little yep, fish, little fish in front of it. Yeah. And yeah, did you yeah. see, there's also another uh, logo that's got like a whale tail with a stick huh. of dynamite on it. <laughs> yeah. So. Anyways, it's kind of funny. Yep, there you go. Only in Eugene. Okay, you can't. What one week they talk about uh, inappropriate uh, sexual activity with uh, with high schoolers, and now they're renaming their baseball teams to uh, Exploding Whales. Yeah. Pretty sweet. It was funny. I uh, we, we were that last thing that we were talking about. It was uh, we talked about that with with uh, my youngest Gunner, who's seventeen, and he was like. Are you kidding me? They were asking kids that in in school, and I'm like, yeah. He couldn't believe it. Anyways, let's get moving right along here, Beach. It is now time for the Tommy Tupperville. What's he think I look like? A jackass? You sure do. <laughs> jackass of the week award. Every week, we discuss some person in college football who exemplifies truly worst sportsmanship, leadership, or just being a fan. And actually, Beach, there's not a lot of stuff going on right now. I wouldn't think there is, Billy. No. Because it's the off season and no one's really yeah. screwing up right now. <laughs> but we're gonna we're gonna do one here, and we're gonna give it to uh, we're gonna give it to the old Nebraska Cornhuskers athletic director Steve Peterson. And why Steve Peterson? Do you ask? Steve Peterson, Billy. Why? Well, Beach, twenty years have passed since Frank Solich's controversial firing from Nebraska. And he hasn't publicly appeared at Memorial Stadium since. And that's about Sage. Solich, who's now 78, remains a beloved figure among much of the Husker fan base. Having been an all-conference fullback for the Cornhuskers in the 1960s and an assistant to legendary head coach Tom Osborne for two decades. And the head coach who won 75% of his games over six seasons before his unceremonious dismissal. Now, with the prodding of current athletic director Trev Alberts, the urging of Osborne, and the invitation of first-year head coach Matt Rule, Solich figured now is the time to return to Lincoln. He and his family will be honored during the Husker spring game April 22nd in what he hopes will be the start of a renewed relationship with the program. Now, Alberts, who himself was an All-American linebacker at Nebraska in the early 90s when Solich was an assistant, said he's been trying to get Solich to return since he became AD two years ago. Why was he dismissed? We'll get there. Solich was 58-19 in six seasons as the successor to Osborne, the College Football Hall of Fame coach who won national championships in three of his last four years and retired with the program at its pinnacle. Now, under Solich, the Huskers won the Big 12 championship and finished number two in the polls in 1999. And they played in the 2001 BCS title game against Miami, 
despite a jarring 62-36 loss to Colorado in the regular season finale. Now, the Huskers lost three straight games to end the 2002 season and finished 7-7, the first time since 1968 they hadn't won at least nine games. Solwich then fired three assistant coaches and gave up offensive play calling duties, and the Huskers won nine games the following regular season. But bad losses to Missouri, Texas, and Kansas State and a 16-12 and record over his last 28 games prompted first-year athletic director Steve Peterson to fire him. In explaining his decision, Peterson famously said, quote, I refuse to let the program gravitate into mediocrity. Now, Beach, that decision was divisive at the time. Some fans agreed the program was showing signs of slippage. Some argued Solich deserved more time with his restructured staff. Now, at the time, and ever since, Solich took the high road through years when he was asked about how things ended. He said, quote, I didn't try to look back and beat myself up or beat anybody else up about it. There were things that happened that were tough to take, but that happens in life, and I moved on. Now, Solich was out of coaching for one year before, um, before he was then hired at the University of Ohio. Not Ohio State, Ohio University, the Bobcats. Now, he spent 16 seasons with the Bobcats and became the Mid-American Conference's all-time wins leader. He retired in the summer of 2021 to focus on a heart issue, and he now lives in Idaho. Now, so be- he had a great career afterwards, maybe not with as big a program. Yeah, but he was but a great, he was, great Exactly. Now, Bill Callahan, Bo Pelini, Mike Riley, Scott Frost, and now Matt Rule have followed Solich at Nebraska. There's been no conference championships since the 99 title under Solich, no bowl since 2016 under Riley, and six straight losing seasons. Now, Solich is still there. Is who? No, it's it's Trev Alberts now. Now, Solich supporters have long contended that his firing 20 years ago put a curse on the football program and that it could only be broken by Nebraska making things right with him. Solich acknowledged he's heard about the Solich curse. He said, quote, I will say this. If I had the ability to put on curses, there would be a few more people in trouble. Asked if Peterson was one of those people, Solich laughed and said, no, I'm not going there. <laughs> so anyways, Beach, I, I just bring this up because one, Solich was a great coach at Ohio. I remember watching him there um, coaching the Bobcats. Um, one of Jess's best friends, Amy uh, Lynn, went to Miami. Mm-hmm. Or that's not Miami. I mean, went to Ohio. There's also a Miami of Ohio. I was getting things confused. Yeah, yeah. I went to, I went, uh, I, uh, when I was at the Walt Disney World College Program, uh, one of the gals I worked with uh, was from uh, uh, Miami, uh, Miami of Ohio. Yeah, yeah. But, but I'm talking, she went to Ohio. She was a Bobcat. Yeah. Anyways, so... um. And it just kind of, to me, it points out that people are so desperate to win all the time. And sometimes it's just cutting off your nose to spite your face. Mm-hmm. You know, um, Solich was a good coach. Give him a little bit of time. And, you know, like in, in the Pac-12, there's 12 teams that all want to be number one. Yep. And they're all working their asses off. And, and you're not always going to be at the top. Yeah. You know, very rarely are you going to be at the top, but 
you know, if you can stay in the upper third or even the upper half through, through your, through the years, you can win more than you lose. That That's good. Yeah. In my book, you know, unless it's all a game of, unless it's all about just buying the wins and then what fun is that? Yeah. But so anyways, I just, I, I read that and I was like, man, I remember when they fired Solich and it was controversial and they brought in Callahan and Callahan sucked. They've just been they've just been going through coaches right and left since, and I I was always shocked when they picked up Riley. I couldn't figure that out. Well, because Bo Pelini was kind of a jerk, and I think they really needed a palate cleanser after him. And Mike Riley was such a nice guy. And personally, at the time, I remember back at the time saying, "Oh, you know, they got Mike Riley because they needed a palate cleanser before they could hire Scott Frost." They needed yeah. Frost to get a little more um, uh, reps under his belt as a head coach, which he did. Then he came in and was garbage. Yeah, he he, he didn't he didn't perform well at all. No, and I know a number of Nebraska fans, and he went from being a beloved child to uh, persona non grata. Yeah, and he lasted two years. Uh, three, I think. Hmm. Yeah. So. But anyways, I mean, they got rid of him early last season. I mean, he only made a couple games of boom, gone, done. Yeah, they, they were expecting to see a turnaround by that time. Yep. So anyways, so Steve. Where, where did, where did Frost end up at? Has he gone anywhere? I don't know. Because he had theoretically a ton of success at Oregon. Well, he. In I his mean, role. yeah. Um, let's see. Scott Frost. Uh, let's see. Was a candidate for the offensive coordinator job at Miami. Let's see. I don't know where he's at. Doesn't really say where he's at, Beach. Mm. He's been named candidates. Um, could be at Alabama, could be at Miami. Let's see what this says. Yeah, it doesn't have him anywhere right now. Well, I'm sure he got paid quite a bit just to work at, uh, just to work over there at uh, Nebraska. Yep. So anyways, former athletic director, Steve Peterson, you get this week's jackass of the week yeah it was just just kind of a, a rash move and Solich was a pretty nice guy but he was also soft-spoken so i don't surprised. i'm surprised he's uh again um the fact that he's been so humble for that you know yeah it's uh that's impressive i guess he's, well, he's uh, you got, that's just that also that's that's what that generation did Mm-hmm. You know. So. Yeah. All right, Beach. It is now time for this week's musical interlude. It is my and pick. It's... Yes, who? I'm, I'm anxious, Billy. Well, Beach, this is a song by the English rock band Deep Purple. First released from the band's sixth studio album Machine Head. Okay. Which chronicles the 1971 fire at Montreux Casino. What happened in this fire? Do you know the song? I don't know the song, nor do I know the fire. 
Well, it's the it's the song is "Smoke on the Water." Oh, "Smoke on the Water." Yes, I know this song. So, in a 2004 publication by Rolling Stone magazine, rated "Smoke on the Water" as the 434th on its list of the 500 greatest songs of all time. Total Guitar Magazines ranked "Smoke on the Water" number four on its greatest guitar riffs ever. And in March 2005, Q Magazine placed "Smoke on the Water" at number 12 in its list of 100 greatest guitar tracks. Now, the lyrics of the song "Beach" tell a true story. I've never really, li- you know, I, I'm so used to the uh, the chorus that I never really paid attention to the lyrics. Well, Beach, on December 4th, 1971, Deep Purple were in Montreux, Switzerland, to record an album using a mobile recording studio known as, uh, that was owned by the, they, they rented it from the Rolling Stones and is known as the Rolling Stones Mobile Studio, referred to in the lyrics as the Rolling Truck Stones thing and a mobile. Okay. So they talk about that in the song. At the entertainment complex that was part of the Montreux Casino, referred to in the song as the Gambling House. Now on, the eve, okay. now, on the eve of the recording session, a concert with Frank Zappa and the Mothers of Invention was held in the casino's theater. And actually, if you listen to the song, they actually say Frank Zappa and the Mothers. Okay. That was his band. Now, I, this... I do know that part of that. Yep. Yes. Now, this was the theater's final concert before the casino complex closed down for its annual, annual winter renovations, which would allow Deep Purple to record there. Now, at the beginning of... Don Preston's synthesizer solo on King Kong, which was a Frank Zappa song, the place suddenly caught fire when somebody in the audience fired a flare gun towards the rattan-covered ceiling. What the hell? Mentioned in the lyrics as, quote, some stupid with a flare gun. So if you listen to the lyrics, he says, some some stupid with a flare gun uh, did something and burned the whole place down. Now, now, although there were no major injuries, the revolt, the resulting fire destroyed the entire casino complex, along with all the mother's equipment. Now, the smoke on the water that became the title of the song referred to the smoke from the fire spreading over Lake Geneva from the burning casino as the members of Deep Purple watched from their hotel. Now, bassist Roger Glover who related how the title occurred to him when he woke up from a dream a few days later, said that, quote, it was probably the biggest fire I'd ever seen up to that point and probably ever seen in my life. It was a huge building. I remember that there was very little panic getting out because it didn't seem like much of a fire at first. But when it caught, it went up like a fireworks display. Mm. Now, now Beats, also in the song, they say the funky Claude running in and out refers to Claude Knobs, the director of the Montreux Jazz Festival, who helped some of the audience escape the fire. Now, hmm. now, the, now, Swiss police did name a Czechoslovakian refugee as a suspect in the case, but he fled Switzerland shortly after the fire. So he was probably guilty. <laughs> probably. Anyways, so yeah, so if you listen to it, you can pick up all these words, and it's basically telling the tale of the Montreux Casino burning down. Now, did did you know about this prior to you doing some research on it, Billy? Yes, I did. Okay, okay. Uh, because, you know me, I'm always listening to lyrics. And so yeah. I had heard um, Frank Zappa and the Mothers. And I was mm-hmm. like, Frank Zappa and the Mothers? And so, yeah, I, I, I 
researched this years ago and found out. You know, and I might have also heard like a behind the music or something about it. Yeah, I, you know, I miss those behind the music. I miss having regular cable when you could watch good stuff on VH1. Yep. But anyways, here is Smoke on the Water by Deep Purple.
good good pick today, Billy. Well, yeah, and you know, Beach, it's funny because that is considered like this this you know great guitar riff, and it's really pretty simple. Mm-hmm. You know, it's only like four four notes. Dun 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 dun. dun. I mean, there's not much to it. No, but you know? well, wasn't that always the thing like with uh, Louie Louie, you know, as a rock song? Isn't it only have like four notes? And dad said that's why they, they learned it in high school was because it's such a simple song. Probably. But, Probably. you know, just, just because it's simple doesn't mean it's not uh, doesn't have a good hook. Yeah, it's not effective. You know? Yeah, sometimes the most simplest things are the most effective. All right, Beach. Well, we need before we uh, turn off, uh, finish up show number 196 here. We need to talk about a potential tailgate. Oh, for baseball? Yes. Okay. So I've got three possible dates. Okay. So in about two weeks, less than two weeks now, we have USC on Saturday the 15th at 3. Okay. We have Arizona on Saturday the 29th at 3. Or we've got Utah on... Saturday, May 6th at 1.35. Hmm. Now, my only problem is I don't want to get too far out and then have crummy weather. Yeah. So, and I'm looking at my weather report right now, and I don't think it goes out. See, it only goes out so far. See, if it was this week, I wouldn't do it because it's like a 58% chance of rain on Saturday. Um. Is it something that – are you okay making it a week out? Um, I can probably make that work. Uh, I'm going to be gone. This shouldn't affect us. I'm going to be gone from uh, May 12th to the 23rd. Okay. That doesn't that doesn't do anything. That, that we're, we're fine. We're, we're before that. So. Yeah. Um, and if we, if we do this, Beej, um, I'll just bring <laughs> stuff out to make uh, – Cheesesteaks? We're going to do cheesesteaks? Yeah. Dude. We're going to do it. Let's do cheesesteaks. Dude, we're going to have like 100 people show up. I don't know if we'll have 100 people show up, but I think we should do cheesesteaks. Okay. I'm down for cheesesteaks. I would say cheesesteaks. I would say um, maybe some deep fried stuff. I, 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 the little mini potatoes. Okay. We need potatoes. Yeah. But then um, I would say people are responsible for their own beverages. Seems reasonable. Yeah. So, but we'll we'll kind of if you're if you're interested in coming to the to a potential tailgater, just keep an eye to social media, Twitter, Facebook. We'll post something there, or you can email me, and I'll let you know. Yeah, but if we put it on Heinrich, uh, if we put it on Heinrich Tailgater on Facebook, and you and I both share it, that should get most of our audience. I would think so. Yeah. Yeah. Well, like I said, so, I just don't want to deal with anything with crummy weather. Especially if you put a picture of a cheesesteak on there. Yeah. So, no, I, I kind of agree. Could be nice. Would, would we go sans, sans tent? Probably. Or we could bring out the two smaller ones. Just, just do it quick and dirty? Yeah. Okay. I can see that. Sound good? Yeah, sounds good. Okay. Well, we'll, just, we'll kind of we'll kind of write that down in in real light pencil right now. Yeah, I was gonna say we can make that audible seven about seven days out or so yeah. when we have a forecast. 
Yeah, that's what I was thinking. Yeah. Okay, no, sounds good. All right. Well, Beach, anything else you'd like to add? Nothing that I can think of. We had a we had a great so, little long weekend last weekend going down to California. Yeah, that was a blast. Yeah, the tour in the Disney Studios was a lot of fun. Yeah. Got uh, got to see a lot of cool stuff. Yeah. So. Got to check out Super Nintendo World at Universal. Mm-hmm. I'd like to right. do. I'd like to do some ride. more of that with, with less people in the land. Yeah, right, right. The Mario Kart ride, that was pretty cool. Yeah. So ne- next time we need to go to the one in Japan where they got the additional ride. Yeah. Well, you should see the one that they're doing and that they're planning for uh, Florida. It looks amazing. It's going to be even bigger? Uh, yeah. And it's that they've got a roller coaster they're putting in. Oh, it's a Donkey Kong roller coaster. The Donkey coaster. Kong roller coaster. Have you seen how that's going to work? Uh, you and I were talking about that briefly. Why don't you go ahead and tell the people? Well, so what it is, so anyone that's played Donkey Kong Country and done the minecart kind of level, you know you're in like a minecart, but the cart jumps tracks. There's like jumps, so the track like is separated, and there's a big gap there. So the way the uh, ride looks like it's going to run is there's a track that it looks like the car is running on. There's actually a curved arm that comes off the back of the ride vehicle that goes down to the actual track below it that it's actually riding on. So you'll look like you're jumping tracks, but it's actually not riding on that track. It it looks really cool. I'm excited for it. It's going to be interesting. Yeah. Anyways, anything else to add, Beach? Nope, don't think so. Alrighty. Well, I want to thank everyone for listening to show number 196 of Illegal Participation. If you'd like to comment, send a suggestion, and ask a question, HeinrichTailgator at gmail.com, at HeinrichTailgator on Twitter, HeinrichTailgator on Facebook. Remember, listen, subscribe, leave a rating review wherever you listen to podcasts. Beach. Billy. Let's see how the weather's doing a week from right now. We'll make that decision. Sound good? I'm, I'm, you know, I've been wanting to do a tailgater for baseball because we haven't done one in, what, three, four years? It's been a couple years, yeah. Yeah, I'm excited. That's I'm, I'm stoked. So, cool. Right on. Well, until next time, here's a great big Go Beeves. Nebraska Cornhuskers old athletic director. I got to figure out what his name is. Please let his name be Red because that'd be awesome. No, it's Peterson. I don't remember his first name. Was my Peterson brave?
Steve Peterson. So um, we're going to give it out to the old Nebraska Cornhuskers. <laughs> we're going to give it to please, the. Please leave that in. Okay. <laughs> so, oh, hey, Billy, you hear that? No. I think you're at Dickies. Well, it's not like it's a Bucky's. Oh, I love Bucky's. Dickies Arena. Gotta hell sell a hell of a lot of overalls to pay for that. Okay. Uh, actually, it is. It's named after uh... Dickies overalls. Yeah. Um. Yeah, Dickies. Hmm. Um. All right, that's pretty good. Are we going to be able to get tickets for the game? I don't know. <laughs> you want to okay. get tickets? Uh, I mean, if we're going to tailgate out there, kind of like we want to go to the game, but think, we don't have to. I think it's sold out. Is it? I believe so. Okay. Well, we don't have to. We can. Do they still have the cheap? Uh, oh, that's amazing. All those, all those bleachers and stuff, and they still sell out. Yeah. So it's, I guess it's a good thing. Yeah. So, okay. Well, we can always just catch balls in the parking lot. All right. Sounds good. All righty. Okay. Well, I'll try to drive out there and see what it looks like. Oh, where we can set up and stuff? Yeah. Okay. Sounds good. All right. Later, Beach. I like beer. <laughs>